0: it's estimated that uh, only about 5% of marriages are truly satisfying and happy. That's a really low percentage. In fact, think 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 of your heart and think of a splinter that you've had in your foot and imagine a splinter in your heart. In most other marriages, the weight of disappointment... And the thought of the dreadful mistake that one has made is carried around constantly like a splinter in the heart. And it's also considered a pretty established fact that the heartbreak of a failed love relationship, even in a serious dating one, can actually be more stressful or distressful than the death of someone In in fact, some say it's perhaps the most traumatic experience that one goes through because of the abandonment, the repression of even the normal grieving process often we don't go through, and then as well it's just a fantasy of this thing happening beautifully in a reunion and all being great. And we talk a lot about intimacy. We throw the word around a lot. Um, The dictionary definition is intimacy is a close, familiar, usually affectionate, loving, personal relationship. I'll say that again, because we throw the word intimacy around a lot, and uh, the series we're doing is called Building Intimacy. Uh, It's a close, familiar, usually affectionate, loving, personal relationship. And uh, we long for that. We long for intimacy, a deep, close, personal relationship with God. And we long where there's something that's, that's, that's that yearns for that kind of closeness and affection and, uh, with our families. And many of us didn't have it with our families growing up. Maybe our, our father was either absent or passive and wasn't even involved very much. Or maybe the, your mom maybe was controlling uh, and you weren't really valued as an individual. But, but parents with children and, and fathers and moms trying to get close to their own children, there's often a feeling of frustration, of wanting to be intimate, close, personal, tighter, uh, even friendships, even the closest friendships, there's often that feeling of frustration, of wanting to be more intimate or, or at least more consistently in that place of closeness and tightness and, and it's not there and we long for it. Singles, I mean how many singles uh, uh, will say I, I long for healthy, whole, satisfying relationships with people of the opposite sex that are not sexual, that are just they're healthy and they're whole and they're deeply satisfying as a single person, I, I long for that kind of intimacy uh, in a healthy way, and and that again, that, that yearning and uh, cells and communities and church and it's that same scenario, and 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 we long for a, a steady intimacy that that is just close and personal and loving and deep, and uh, so the words you'll hear when you when uh, people discuss intimacy are words like disappointing, uh, struggle, painful frustrating. Now in this series, I've now got a title for it, which is Foundations of Biblical Intimacy. And we talked about who we are a few weeks ago, and then what are we to do. And today I want to talk about embracing the catastrophe. And I'm going to call that, if you take notes, and I want to encourage you to take notes, because it's good. I'm going to say a lot of things today that, again, I, I, I can barely grasp some of the depth of what's in this text, and so I'm only going to bring out some of the points. But I'm building here on what does it mean to have biblical intimacy in a marriage, as a single person, in our relationships. But there's foundational things that have to be laid in order to walk this thing out. And my fear is that we've not taken the time to wrestle with who we are and the value of us as individuals. What is our task? And today, I'm, I'm going to call it really, it, it's, it's, it's embracing the catastrophe or what's called in, in, in theology, the fall. And all the implications of that. And and I fear many of us just skip over it and live in frustration in our marriages and relationships. And so I'm going to divide this up into three basic parts today if you're taking notes. Because I will be jumping into some other areas. I'm going to talk about um, the catastrophe itself, the miracle, and then make a couple applications. But I'm going to talk about the catastrophe or the fall, and then the miracle in the midst of it all, and then the, the uh, I want to make a couple of applications. Those are kind of the parts. Now let me just do a little bit review. Go to Genesis one verse twenty eight. If you remember, uh, verse I'm sorry, verse twenty seven. We began by talking about you know God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. One twenty seven, male and female He created them. And uh, and then what am I to do? Verse twenty eight, God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number." And we talked about that. That refers to I'm called by God to create to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. And uh, we are called, uh, like God, to create. And then it says, subdue the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves in the ground. We talked about, we just like God, created the earth, and then there was chaos, and then he shapes it. In the same way, we are called by God to create, and then as well, to shape and uh, to bring order to what is chaotic. And in fact, you are wired by God. It's in your genetic code, it's in your bloodstream, the, in the, as a person made in the image of God, to, to not be passive, but to be active, to engaging actively the world and creation, and you're creating and you're shaping in it. And, so, and the God of the universe, uh, has it's a, it's a wonderful miracle that he has chosen to rule through us. And he makes us, and he crowns us, Psalm 8, kings and queens to rule under his leadership this entire creation that he has thrown into existence by the word of his power. And, and uh, so we talked about creating refers to where to creatively engage the earth. And it refers to everything by imagining and dreaming. And Adam and Eve were like artists. And, and I, many musicians approached me after that last that message. And we're to take things and give it, give it form. And then we're called to shape it or to subdue it and rule it. And we talked about the word shape means to, in our lives, uh, literally means to cut a path in a virgin forest and then to cultivate the land. And we are called in our lives to cut through life, which is filled with chaos, darkness, confusion. We're to cut through it and then we're to cultivate the land. And we talked about how that looks from everything from, from a sanitation worker and I I, I pick up garbage and I'm I'm cutting through a virgin forest, I'm cultivating the land and I'm cleaning this this street and it becomes holy ground for the glory of God and so whether I'm a homemaker as I as I do the dishes, I'm, I'm, I'm shaping the home and I decorate a room and that room becomes holy ground as I push back the fall and as I create relationships and serve people and make disciples and, uh, and, and, and share the gospel as we create and we shape people which is the ultimate of making disciples for, for the glory of God and, and we can go on and on and we talked about writing songs and planting gardens and, and uh, being a social worker or a teacher and, and our lives are ones we're moving through life cutting a path through a virgin forest creating and shaping and we approach all of life like that it's foundational and, and, uh, and so, that, and we're, we're, why? we're special treasures, and God looks at us and says, you're extraordinary, you're made in my image, I, I love you, you're glorious, there's nothing like you in all creation, and I'm delighted. Now to grasp this catastrophe, you, you, you've got to grasp, and I'll just try to hang with me, in chapter 2, verse 24, is, is, a, is a very important verse. And it says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now try to comprehend uh, the heart of God. God created all this physical universe, including then the animals, and, and this vast creation, days one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, in, in Genesis chapter one. And the reason God has this vast creation is so that he can have a relationship with his, these creatures that he makes called male and female. And, and that somehow this God of the universe so longs and is passionate for relationship with humans. He doesn't need it, but he longs for it. And so the purpose of all of creation was to create a home for us. And in which he and I, us could have a relationship one with another. And, and uh, in fact, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, what you, what, you have in the early, what you have in the garden is you've got three beings in deep, intimate relationship. You've got God, you have Adam, and you have Eve. Adam and Eve are, are, are having profound intimacy as well as they're both intimately related with God. And so, um, again, think of a close relationship personal, familiar, intimate, loving, personal relationship. That's, that's intimacy. So, so for example, their intimacy with God, Adam and Eve, was carefree and fulfilling. It was, it was just that they could walk in the cool of the garden and just have fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with God. In fact, verse 8 of chapter 3, when, when the Lord comes in the garden, he says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. I mean, their relationship with God is, is God is walking in the garden. And, and, and they're able to hear him and feel him. In fact, literally, it's not translated well in the NIV. It says, uh, you know, in verse 8, they hide themselves from the face of the Lord our God. And, and the face is the, in fact, there's an interesting word study on this face, but the face refers to the most extraordinary revealing of a person's personality and disposition and moods. And so their lives were lived in such intimacy with God. Just try to, try to transport yourself for a moment. In the garden before sin, and that they lived in such an intimacy with with their creator God who had who had, who had made a covenant, a commitment to them of relationship and they they saw his face constantly and they, they basked in a, in a perfect relationship and they gloried in his personality and, and they knew the Lord so intimately and personally and closely and beautifully and that 's why it says in, in revelations twenty one and twenty two that when Jesus returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth, there will no longer be any curse. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, and no more pain, but that we will see his face and we will reign forever. And so, do you understand that? Imagine it was, it was such an intimacy that they, they basked in the ecstasy of the face of God as he walked in the cool of the garden. It was that depth of intimacy. Not only with God, and then Adam and Eve as a married couple had an intimacy that was deep, close, personal. That's why verse 24, 25 in chapter 2, they were, there was a nakedness, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. There was a total transparency, a total vulnerability. They, they had a total ability to, to, to give love to each other and, 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 it, and a perfect ability to receive love. They were able to know each other fully and, know, and, and be known fully. There was, there was no barriers. There was no burglar alarm systems. There was no fences, no walls, no, um, n- none of the things that separate us, no, no unlisted phone numbers. It was total transparency, perfect intimacy as a married couple, and, and uh, you know, no shame and no guilt. Um, it's just a beautiful image of the, the, no sh- the intimacy. I was reading about a couple that uh, a, few weeks ago, a few weeks ago celebrated their 80th anniversary, wedding anniversary. The guy, Edmund Sobieski, from Schenectady is 103, his wife is 100. Now, 80 years is a long time to be married. Now, you say, well, they, they, they know each other. You know, well, like, I don't know their relationship, but the fact that you can predict your spouse's behavior because you've lived together 80 years does not mean you know your spouse just because you can predict their behavior. That's a very different thing. Knowing, really, the insides of that person and them knowing the insides of you, that's intimacy. Are you following me, everybody? It's not an issue of how much time you've been with the person. Uh, It's not an issue of... um, I forget. All right. But our souls long for this intimacy with God and with others. There's something in you and in me that longs for this perfect intimacy, this closeness with God. We just sang about dancing on streets of gold a, a song that really goes back to Revelation 21 and 22. There's something in your in your being given by God that wants that. That wants Eden. Ecclesiastes says there is eternity in your heart. It's in every human being's heart that, that longing and that, and that hunger. and, and so. For example, in my relationship with, with Jerry and I, you know, in our own marriage, there are moments we experience glory. There are moments that we experience that kind of intimacy of, of, of just a, a, a closeness that we realize we're tasting something that's really heaven. But the reality is, it, 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 it's, then it's gone and we have to battle to get back there but those moments come and, and then they're gone and, and but we long for that kind of closeness but we don't have it. It's just, it we just we can't have that kind of perfectly satisfying relationship as a married couple and it's same with my relationship with god there are moments that i can be caught up in, in worship or just in the word or, or just i'm just i'm just oh this is cool this is this is this is it but you know something and then all then it's gone and then all of a sudden i feel like you know I'm hiding again. I'm just, where are you God? I'm pursuing and and, and battling for intimacy, closeness with, with God. And uh, so I, I, even with other people as a church family, we have we have moments where we experience the 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 the, the, the intimacy of of the of being a family of, of relation with others in the body of Christ. I was like, "Ah, oh, it's glorious." And then you wake up the next day and you know, you see that person's faults or something happened, you're "Oh, it's gone again." Now, this is the background to the catastrophe of, chapter, of uh, chapter 3, which is point one the fall. Now, understand that, that God set up a limited testing with Adam and Eve in the garden that was like a probation. And it was a, it was a decisive moment for all of human history in which God fully provided for them, complete security, and says, and, and the Lord says, one tree, however, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat from that tree. And the Lord set up that prohibition over this one tree simply to give them an opportunity to depend on him and to trust him and to love him and recognize him as the Lord God even though they didn't understand why. And so the Lord sets up basically a, pro- a probation time for Adam and Eve, for a short period of time. And there are representatives. And, and as, as the head of the human race, our representatives that went before us on our behalf. Now, in addition to creating and shaping, This was going to be a testing time. And so Satan was going to come in. Satan comes into the garden and invades the intimacy, invades the relationship of them with God and them with each other. They were to judge and to slay Satan as a king and a queen ruling. There There wasn't to be a dialogue, there wasn't to be a discussion. There was to be the serpent enters in, they were to slay that serpent and to build the kingdom of God. But what happens here is another story. Now, just, oh, just one more thing. Go to chapter 2, verse 15 for just a minute. I, I know i got to play this background here. Hang with me. Chapter 2, verse 15. I want you to underline a word. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. The first word is to work it. So again, if you don't like work, you were created to work. To work it and to take care of it. Now, underline that word, take care of it. Because that's the word that literally means to guard. They were to guard the garden. Now, in chap- now, that same word in Hebrew was used in chapter, two, uh, chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 now, verse 24. Because you'll understand now what their task was. It says, after he drove the man out, I'm in mean, chapter 3, verse 24, he placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flashing sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's the same word to take care of. Underline that word guard, okay? They were to guard, just like the cherubim were guarding that Adam and Eve could not get back in the garden, they were to guard the garden from any intrusion from the evil one. You Catch that? So part of our life task is to guard that which God has given us. And that's a whole nother message. But they were to, to defend against the intrusion of Satan. Now what happens is Adam becomes passive and silent. He does not open his mouth. Eve believes a lie. Now, Eve was also passive, and Adam also believed a lie. But at least in the text, there's a little more emphasis on the passivity of Adam. And there's a little more emphasis on Eve believing a lie. You can say it's 51%, 49%. But both of them were passive, and both believed a lie. Let me just It's just very interesting because if you look at many men today, men struggle an awful lot with being passive and there are men who are very aggressive in their business in the business world making money following sports teams but have no energy for bringing shaping and creating energy to their marriages or to their families and they're very passive when it comes to growing their own families but very good in being energetic in other areas but it's just interesting I've never done a survey on this but it is an interesting phenomenon how many men, fathers, husbands, struggle with being passive. It's just, an, in, I don't know, to get statistics on that. But anyway, Satan is called the deceiver of the whole world in the Bible. And in verse 1 now, chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He says to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And so Satan raises a question about, is, you know, is God really good? I mean, did God really say don't eat from any tree of the garden? I mean, I, I mean, what kind of a God is that? I mean, you can't eat from any tree? I mean, come on, what kind of a God is this? And, and subtly raises questions about, you know, God may not be as good as you think he is. In fact, God may be a little bit cruel not letting you eat from any of the trees. That really would be for your own good anyway. And you know something? And then, you know, of course she defends God. And it says, you know, again, she's dialoguing. She should not be dialoguing, but she is. Adam is being passive. He's not opening his mouth. He's watching this whole scene. In fact, in verse 6, uh, it says she also, look at the end of verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The husband was there. Adam was not in the bathroom. Adam was not making rice and beans. Adam was right there at the moment. Okay? But he's being passive. He's silent. He's not opening his mouth. She's dialoguing, and then she, then... In verse 4, you know, she, she quotes God and says, you know, God said you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, God didn't say not touch it, but he did say not eat it. Verse 4, and he says, you won't die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. And, and so again, she, and, 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 and basically he's encouraging Eve, you know, that's not a lie. You're not going to die to sowing and reaping stuff. Eat it. And you know something, she eats it and she doesn't die, at least instantly anyway. In fact, Adam didn't either. They, Adam lived till 930 years old. He didn't die for a long time. I mean, he died spiritually. But, and in fact, what, so what, what Satan said was half true. In fact, Satan's full of half-truths here. That's what's so interesting. It's half-truths. It's when, when someone says, oh, you've got to receive the truth, but there's lies in it. It's a lie. Do you understand? Satan's saying some truth, but there's also some lie in it. And, and so... Uh, you know, he says, your eyes will be open. Well, their eyes were open. They saw their shame for the first time, you know. And, and so basically, he encourages Eve. He says, listen, Eve, take control of your life, you know. and Decide for yourself what's going to help you and hinder you. Because you know something? I'm not sure God's got your best interest at all anyway. So he encourages Eve, take control of your life, be independent. She goes, you're right. I'll take that tree. It looks like it'll help me. I'm going to eat from it. And it was so easy. Do you ever find it's really easy to sin? I love it. It says she takes it and eats it. That's all. I'm in verse, verse uh, 9. She saw the food was good, and she takes it and eats it. I mean, it can't be that bad. It was so easy to commit the sin anyway. Did you find that? It's so easy to sin. Just take it and eat it. It's so simple. It's, it can't be against God. God wouldn't have made it so easy. <clears throat> God's got to be allowing this somewhere. <clears throat> I mean, the incredible simplicity of just taking the fruit and, eat it and eating it is what, to me, is so shocking. Because it's not a big deal. It wasn't like they had a the plot and plan. I mean, just... They're just just not ruling anymore. They're not shaping, they're not creating, they're not engaging the creation, they're not judging Satan. They're just flowing along, dialoguing. Adam's passive, she's believing lies. She's passive, he's believing lies. And then, bam, you know, know, it's just interesting, just a side note here. Like many men, I don't like messes and I don't like chaos. I like to be in control and know what's going on. I don't like battles. And so I tend to run away from battles and chaos. So for example, if my wife and I are having a bad time and it's a bit chaotic, I think I'll go watch TV for three hours. Because I don't like to engage the chaos. I don't like battle. I'd rather just go be passive. And basically that's what's happening here for Adam at least. He's just passive in the midst of, he's called to engage in this battle, but he chooses not to. And out of that passivity... Now, it's interesting about women being passive, too, because many women look for a man who will rule for them. If I can just find the right husband, he'll run my life, and I'll take care of the home. And I'll rule and create in the home, but that's the extent of my creating and ruling. But that is as much against the creation mandate. Now, we'll talk about the gender roles in a few weeks. But that is also missing the heart of you two are called in your life, in your home, to create and shape, just like the man was called to shape and create in the home. But you're called to create and shape in life as well, just like the man is. But many women look for a place where they can hide and be passive the rest of their lives. And their whole motive in looking for a relationship is to do that. It worked for my mom. Why can't it work for me? All right. Don't get nervous. Now, their choice. They made a choice. That choice had immediate and devastating consequences for them. For their marriage, and for all of history, and for us in this room. And it's called the fall. Now, as a result, their relationship with God, this perfect intimacy, is shattered. The best illustration I can think of is Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall. It's just shattered. The intimacy, the closeness, the seeing of God's face, it's gone. And Now, before they know it, in verse 8, when God is now walking in the cool of the garden, now they hide from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their marriage is never the same. That perfect nakedness without shame, total vulnerability, totally knowing each other is gone. It's shattered. And now what happens is Adam murders Eve and commits violence with his words. When God comes and says, Adam, what's up? And he says, yeah, that woman you gave me, verse 12, that woman you gave me, he basically blames God. So he murders God. That woman you gave me, she gave me. And he murders God and he murders her. I mean, their whole marriage relationship has been drastically changed. And internally, their lives have been affected. And so have ours. Internally, there's now shame. There's now loneliness. There's now feeling ugly, they're now divided from themselves, I don't even know what I feel anymore, there's confusion, and perfect intimacy with their spouse, with God, is not even possible, because of what's called, the, I'm calling the catastrophe, and the fall. And so intimacy and openness are now replaced by something else. Now instead of intimacy and openness, do you know what we have? We have hiding, and we have pretending. We have them in verse 8 hiding in the garden from God. They sow leaves, they're, 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 they're ashamed. I, I, in verse 10 I heard you in the garden, I was afraid. There's fear because I was naked, so I hid. There's now distance in relationships, there's now pain in relationships. There's now, you know, and who told you you were naked? And then it goes on and on. But the relational barrier is so great with God. The, 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 the betrayal. I don't know how to communicate the betrayal. It's like they spat in God's face. The, 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 the break of the relation with God was so great that they have to be ejected from the Garden of Eden. God has to remove them out. And he puts a cherubim or an angel in, in at the gate. So they can't get to the tree of life. And the point is this. There is no more of that closeness and intimacy. It's gone. There's been a betrayal. There's been a violence to it. And now... For for man and woman to get to God, it's now impossible. You can't get to God anymore unless God makes a way. But you can't. There's now, to get to the Holy of Holies, it's over because of the catastrophe. Now, this is so heavy. You've got to just kind of, I know this is not, you know, follow God and get a Cadillac message. But there's something in our bloodstream as children of Adam and Eve, of rebellion. That sin is not wanting to trust God. Sin is saying, I can know what's best for my life. It's that refusal to trust God. And you see, God made us as his creatures to be totally dependent on him. And you know something? We don't like that. God made you to depend on him totally in your life. We really, there's something else we don't like that. And we rebel against it. That's why in Romans chapter 3, Paul spends all this time talking about sin. The fact that all have sinned. There are no exceptions. All have turned aside. All have gone their own way. All have exchanged idols to replace worshiping God. And uh, because we don't see the weight of even our own sin, We we don't feel it. We say, I'm not that bad. But you see, nothing is free from the impact of sin. Your intellect as you make decisions, your emotions, your, your will. There is nothing about you or me that is totally free from the impact of the fall and the catastrophe. You've got to hear that, or else that has enormous implications for the way you approach every relationship you have, especially if you're married. There are no exceptions. All have sinned, Romans three twenty-three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody falls short of that glory of God. Now, that's the catastrophe. Now, here's the miracle. You're saying, thank God there's a miracle in here. The miracle is that they live. That's the miracle. Do you understand... God could have abandoned them and said, you know something, guys? I am washing my hands of this mess. You have made your decision, and this is your now ball game." Or he could have ejected them out of the garden and said, now you're on your own. I'm going to create two new people, and we'll start all over again. Or you know what God could have done? God could have, and really, as a holy God, just killed them on the spot. Ended it right there. But he doesn't. And this, friends, is where I pray, Holy Spirit, just make this text real to you. The great miracle of this text is verse 8 and verse 9. It's when God comes into the garden. God knows what's going on. He knows what's happened. And the Lord God, as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, this is their husband, their bridegroom, father, who created them and made a a covenant with them, made a commitment with them, whose heart is now broken. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't kill them. He doesn't do violence to them like they're going to do to him. But God comes in the garden. He walks and he says, where are you? God knows where they are. It's like me playing with my daughter Faith. She's five years old. We play hide and seek. I know where she is. But I'm like, Faith, where are you? You know, but I want her to come out and expose herself, you know, and I want to hug her, you know. And God's saying, where are you? Because God wants him to come out. God wants relationship. God's pursuing him. And he goes, where are you? And he answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and because I was afraid, so I, so I hid. God doesn't come angry. He doesn't come as an inquisitor. He comes passionate for his creatures and says, where are you? I want you to just hear that voice. God comes and says, where are you? And he's coming after Adam. Because Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes. And they're ashamed, and they're embarrassed, and they're fearful, they're protecting themselves. And God is, is passionately pursuing them. Where are you? He's trying to get them out. He's trying to get this relationship going. And, and they doubted God's goodness. They rejected his care. They put their security in their own decisions versus God. And then they put, they, they clothe themselves, put some fig leaves on. But then in verse 21, God makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And God clothes them. God doesn't just go after them. God clothes them. Verse 21 is an amazing verse. They had clothed themselves, but it wasn't sufficient but God makes them clothes, and he puts it on them for their shame. And then verse, and lots of, it's bit about verse 21. In verse 15, God prophesies when he speaks to the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his, his heel. God does for them what they can't do for themselves. God pursues them, and God is making a way for them to get back interrelationship god gives them clothing god predicts the messiah is going to come he 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 sheds the blood he gives them the clothing he dresses them up he pursues them and he and he says i want you and he and he, he just the miracle is that he makes a path back the miracle is that god makes a path for them and for you to have intimacy with him god makes a path that you can have intimacy with your spouse. God makes a path that you can have intimacy with your friends. God makes a path that we can have an intimacy, a closeness, and a personal relationship here, one with the other, that otherwise would be impossible. He makes a way and he pursues us, and most importantly, for our relationship with him. Now, now that's the history of all of, of, of humanity, is the history of God pursuing humanity. You know that message that was given, some of you here Second Service last week, Jackie preached, her message was repent. That is the message of all of human history. Do you realize that? That is the message of God to the human race that has fallen. And the word is repent. Turn around. Come to me. Expose yourself. Come on, I want a relationship with you. That's the me- it never- that is the message from the mouth and the heart of God that never ceases. It's repent. It's turn. Come on out from hiding. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't protect yourself. Now let me close with two applications. The first is this. Embrace the curse. Okay, let me explain that. Embrace the curse. Embrace the fall. Some people say, oh, "Some people say, oh, praise the Lord, glory to God, everything's great. My relationship with God's perfect, my marriage is doing great, church is awesome, you know, just God, glory, all this stuff. And you know something? That is a lie. That is a lie hear me on that we have not been transported out of this world to heaven yet we are living in this world it's a fallen world and we're not in heaven sin affects our marriages sin affects our relationship to single people marriage exists in a world that's dangerous and sinful As single people, you're walking out your relationship with other people in a world that's dangerous and sinful. And so we're creating and shaping and subduing the earth in that kind of a world. Life is a battle. It is. It's the nature of the world in which we live. And you need to embrace that. Yes, I, I, I want, I long for heaven, but this world is a dangerous place to live in. It's dangerous here. It's heavy. You get hurt out here. And so don't run away from the hardships and the disappointments of life because life is filled with hardship and disappointment that is part of the curse that is part of the catastrophe and for some reason people find God and they think for some reason they're now in heaven you are not you are here and God has left you here to battle in your marriage for intimacy God has made a way for that to happen to battle for intimacy with God, and God has made a way for that to happen. And he pursues you. To battle in your friendships, in your cell groups, in our community, to battle to be the church that God's calls to be, it is a battle, friends. But God has made a way for that to happen. But are there disappointments and hardships? No question about it. You know, I long for that naked, pure relationship with God. I long for it. I long for it with, you know, with Jerry. And, um, you know, Augustine said, you've made us for yourself, O oh God and we shall never find peace until... No, he he, he prayed this to God. God, you have made us for yourself, he said, he prayed, and our hearts will find no peace until they rest in you. In other words, I don't want to pretend that I have heaven now, because I don't. You know, I I enjoy my marriage with Jerry immensely, okay? It is is not going to be perfect and all that I want it to be. It's not because of the catastrophe. It's just not. Doesn't mean we don't, we're, we're, we're working hard at being the couple God wants us to be. And experience that kind of, 2, verse 24. Yes. And I long for that. My heart's yearning for, for heaven. My heart's yearning for, that, for a relationship with God that is that close. And I taste it at times. But the reality is, I live in this world and there's often frustration and disappointment. Now, you can, you have a, here's your choice. Here's the choice. When I say embrace the curse, here's the choice you have to make you can pretend. And you can hide in the bushes. And you can make believe everything's beautiful. Or you can be broken by the reality of the curse. Broken by the fact of, except that God enables me, I'm lost. I am broken by the reality of the situation and it drives me to depend on God. I am broken and I surrender to God. That's the other choice. Pretend and hide. And many people choose to pretend and hide, medicate themselves from the pain of life. Some use religion, some use drugs, some use TV, some use sports. You can hide into anything, work, make money, be whatever you want to medicate yourself with to hide from the pain and difficulty of life. Or you can be broken by God, by this reality, and ask the Spirit of God to empower you to now move forward to create and shape as the woman and as the man that God has made you to be. So the first is just embracing the curse. And I... It's a very important point, which we'll come back to. The second is this, is to come out. The second application, I'll close with this, is to come out. God invites you to come out. Picture in verse 9, Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes. They're ashamed. I believe all of us, to a certain degree, are in the bushes. Hiding. Shamed. Of exposure. I mean, do I want to be that naked in front of God? Do I want to be that naked in front of you? I mean, that's really scary. And, uh, you know, some of us in this room, we've been through all kinds of things abortions, we've hated, we've murdered, we've committed adultery. Some here are full fledged Pharisees, others robbed God. You've trusted in yourself. Not God. You're a prodigal daughter who's run away to do your own thing. You knew God. You're a prodigal son. You ran away doing your own thing. You've not used your gifts. You've not used your talents. You've not used your time. You've been selfish. You've been proud. You've believed the lie that God's trying to ruin your life. Just like Eve, you've been passive. God's not good. And as a result, you find yourself hiding in the bushes. And God comes and he says, your name. He says, Adam, Joey, where are you? And he pursues you and he pursues me as a bride for his bridegroom. And he pursues you as I want, I want intimacy with you. I want closeness with you. I want, I want affection with you. Come on out. He doesn't come in the bush and drag you out. He's not coming to kill you either. He's his son. He, he loved you so much. He himself came in the person of Jesus and he died on that cross for you. And he pursues us. Come on. And I want to close with this. I want to invite you. I mean, I, to me, it's my invitation to myself, too. It's the voice of God in verse 9 saying, Some versions say, Adam, where are you? The Lord God calls to you. If you can hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And the Lord says, Where are you?